Welcome to MatchCast, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Nate Azark to discuss art, design, and conversion. Nate is a great friend that, well, a new friend, but feels like a great friend because we are introduced by lifelong mutual friends. Nate is the founder and creative director at 12 Line Studio. Uh, 12 Line Studio offers a well-rounded range of creative services that we'll get into later in the episode. We're going to begin talking about art and in particular, the sort of art that Nate has put into the world in his journey, uh, particularly with concert uh, rock posters, including for XRT, David Letterman. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like we said, Nate, we met through a mutual friend, which is, which is a wonderful way to meet people. And then we have a conversation and it bleeds into the sort of interesting areas that, that you live and operate in and that we discuss. We're, we're really thankful to have you. I mean, it's the best vetting system, right? You know, you have a, you have a trusted friend who uh, introduces you to another good friend. And uh, it, I mean, there's no reason why at that point uh, you shouldn't get along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Nate, uh, over those years from that friend, I'd heard your name a lot as uh, a artist of concert posters. And walk us through the earliest stages of your of your life as an artist and how you ended up with a job that probably to anybody that loves music would sound like a really awesome and cool job. I got really lucky. As a kid, both of my parents were really, really supportive of the arts. And, you know, it was my release as a kid. I would come home from a tough day of school. I would just really break out my art supplies, go lock myself in my room and start, you know, just creating. And it's still my release to this day, you know, some 30 odd years later. Uh, But, you know, I went to school for uh, graphic design at uh, the University of Illinois. And I can remember my professor asking me, you know, like, you could have any job in the world, what would it be? And my answer was, I would love to design for a record label. I think it'd be great to be involved in like design and music. And so when I graduated, it was 2001, the market was kind of in a tough place. I had a couple of jobs that I was able to help these businesses out with their design needs. And then one day I got a call from a buddy who worked at XRT mentioning they have a webmaster position open. And I guess this is back in the day when they used the term webmaster. Uh, yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't heard that in a while, probably for good reason. 2001. We're in yeah. 2001 now. And for anybody, <laughs> for anybody not familiar or not in Chicago, XRT is uh, a radio station here in Chicago. Correct. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, one of the longest running you know, rock AAA music stations that are out there. And just a great, great history here in Chicago. And it, I came from the print background, print design. So I had done a website or two at this point, but moving into the digital space kind of, it made me a little uncomfortable. How so? It wasn't my forte. It wasn't, I, I knew how to design for print. And, you know, I had started to teach myself HTML and CSS at this point. Okay. But it took a lot of work. I, I wasn't doing it on a, on a daily basis. So Out of your comfort zone a little bit. 
it's like learning a whole new language. Yeah. And I knew that I could uh, manipulate a, a website enough to be dangerous. Fortunately, this position wasn't so much coding as it was updating the website with new images and, and copy. And it was, you know, this was 2007 at this point. And so, you know, it was on a, it was on a pretty rudimentary uh, content management system, but I was able to get in and really start to create some new opportunities for the station by adding designed elements to, to the page that people hadn't, hadn't done up to this point. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting to, to kind of go outside of my comfort zone and take the job because I knew of the reputation that the station had. Right. Well, that sounds amazing. And it connects directly to the moment of clarity or maybe the lifetime of clarity you had, but was emblemat- it was you pointed out your conversation you had in college where you knew you wanted to work in the music industry and you knew you wanted to have a creative uh, role in it because you're uh, an artist. And so sometimes when you get that job and it's at the right place, but it's not the exact fit, you're like, yeah, sure. I know how to do that. I'll, I know how to do that. I'll figure that out. It's exactly how it went down. I mean, I knew that it was the people that I wanted to surround myself with. I knew there were opportunities to extend outside of the digital space as well. I mean, that's kind of the perfect segue into the concert poster work. Yeah. So, so how did that, that seems like a direct line, but, but how did that start? There were a couple of years where I was focusing more on web and coming up with logos for different projects, for different events and, and uh, sales opportunities. What I did start to notice is that we had a lot of small shows that XRT would do called Live from Studio X. And these Live from Studio X, would, they would take an artist who sold out a show that night at a bigger venue and put 100 people, 100, 150 people in a smaller venue like the Elbow Room, which is you know, an iconic space here, or Martyrs. And these are, I mean, these are small, intimate venues. And we never, we never created posters or any sort of takeaway for these events. I guess we would post and raise awareness before the event. There were the people who could enjoy it at the event, but there was really not much of a way to captivate the audience afterwards. So mm-hmm. I, being a huge concert poster lover myself, asked if I could start to create a, a concert poster series for these live from studio X shows. And it was met with a little resistance because the radio budget doesn't allow for a whole array of new experimentation, I guess, uh, in, in terms of spending money. So I, I took it upon myself to take a screen printing class from Steve Walters, who's like the godfather of concert poster design in Chicago. Yep. He taught me how to screen print and let me use his studio as a co-op. And I would design these posters, go in after work, print them, and bring them to the Studio X shows for, uh, for XRT. And it was kind of how that all got started. That's amazing. So, Nate, also, your current or some of your posters and some of your artwork is currently on display in Chicago where people can come see it at 2112. We're going to uh, get into that. But what I'm hearing so far is really amazing. You are kind of a print uh, analog artist and then you get a job and, and expand your digital chops, but then you see a hole in that job at XRT where you can go back to your kind of analog print roots. And so you're kind of oscillating back and forth on these things that a lot of times people usually are comfortable in doing one or the other, but not both. Yeah. 
for me, the moment of going back to creating something by hand is when I really feel like my career started to take off. So the work that I had been doing at XRT up to this point was start to finish on the computer. I was doing the website, you know, integrating some photography, but I had gotten so proficient in using Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop that I could sketch, I could produce and, you know, fulfill all of my projects on, on the computer. The concert poster projects allowed me to go back uh, to pencil and pen on paper. And I really feel like that was this creative resurgence that I needed. And even though I don't necessarily sketch out every project that I work on, it just opened up the doors to, to kind of breaking out of some of the constraints that I had working digitally uh, altogether. That sounds great. We are very interested in hearing about that, how that process, that uh, the current process you have as we fast forward into what you do in your current life, how that is informed by both these digital and analog experiences that you're describing, putting pen to paper, and then the tools that you use to recreate that digitally. At this point, people are going to be really excited to check out the show notes as we'll put some of Nate's beautiful concert posters over the years, because talking about this feels insufficient if you're not also looking at some of the examples. And uh, I'm looking uh, on, on your site right now and looking at Phoenix and Andrew Bird, Kings of Leon, Fish, uh, Ray LaMontagne, St. Vincent, Passion Pit, really awesome stuff. So we'll pick a couple favorites and drop them in the show notes as well as the link to Nate's portfolio. So you've got this now from my point of view, it seems like this kind of backbone of, of art in the concert poster world. And what happened next where now at 12 Line Studio, you're doing branding work and kind of consumer packaged goods work. How did you transition? And, and, and then let's start talk, to talk about that interplay of doing this work from a pure artistic standpoint, like maybe when you're a little kid and you're just expressing yourself or it sounds like you still do to get that release you're describing versus doing something for that you have a specific audience in mind, like a, like a concert poster, and then doing something that's more of a, of a pure marketing work with, that involves design around uh, branding. So how did you begin to move from pure music stuff to doing some client work that was outside of music? Again, it kind of goes back to my University of Illinois days. The education there is really rooted in like the Swiss grid style of, I don't want to say corporate design, but design for business. And that is, is still what a lot of my process is rooted in, in terms of research. And, you know, whether it's, it's building for a brand or designing a concert poster, I still feel that the research and analytical portion of the project is like paramount in terms of connecting with the like your intended audience. Interesting. So you're taking the business concepts of design and kind of applying them to what others might think is just a pure artistic endeavor or more artistic endeavor, rather than you're not saying, oh, I have this artistic side and I'm applying it to business design. It's one thing to have a style that people come to you for uh, when, it, when it's on the concert poster side of things, especially. And that's great if you can develop a style that, that people appreciate and like. My approach is more, I listen to the music, I try to pull images out of the music that will 
relate to the band and to their audience. I think that connection is what, at the end of the day, helps the band sell the merch and connect. And I mean, if a band's going to be spending their money with you, obviously there needs to be a return for them. And that goes, you know, for the, for the branding as well. And so it'll have a better result as from a business perspective, as far as it being a piece of merchandise that the band is selling. But I would imagine if band, if that's not happening, meaning bands are paying people to make concert posters and the people don't listen to the music and do that research that you're describing, you probably got some great feedback from bands around, around just integrating their lyrics or their music into your posters. Yeah. I've, I've gotten feedback from, you know, a couple of artists that, that come to mind in particular. Amos Lee was the first Studio X poster I did. And he came to the show and saw the poster and basically hired me on the spot to do a tour poster for him because it's kind of a funny example of, of, of artists misinterpreting lyrics <laughs> that like a singer or songwriter puts out. So the name of the song was El Camino. And I, I did the research and found out that he was talking about uh, El Camino Real down in uh, Southern California, which is like this road that stretches along you know, this old Santa Fe style of, of, of architecture. Road. Exactly. Yeah. And so I went and looked to see what, what style of, he has a very like gospel influence down to him. And I, I looked at the like buildings and there were these basically uh, churches that dotted this, this path. And so I put that in and, and he totally knew that I had understood what, you know, El Camino was, was all about. And then a couple of days later on gig posters, I saw somebody post another Amos Lee poster that had the El Camino car sitting on there. <laughs> and I was like, man, you totally missed the boat on it. But, <laughs> it, you know, it was, it's, it's little things like that where the artist appreciates it. And then the other one that comes to mind is uh, Jacob Dylan from The Wallflowers. I did a poster for an XRT show out in Downers Grove here. And I got a call from the marketing director. I was like, oh, Jason... Uh, Jacob wants to talk to you after the show. He loves like the poster you did for him. And, and afterwards, uh, I got a chance to meet him and he was like, you listen to my music. I was like, yeah, yeah. I listen. I listened to the album you came out with. He's like, but like you listened to it. And I, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, out I was like, yeah, you know, probably like 12 times to figure out what you were singing about. And, uh, came up with an image that really connected, uh, and, it segues right back into the, to the you know, branding and, and work that I'm doing now because whenever I kick off a project, whether it's with a financial firm or my friend at Taylor Street Soap, a local soap company, I always try to do like a competition audit. I try to see who they need to connect with, uh, what's out there in the marketplace, what's working, what's not working. How can we take all of these things and put it together to really make a product that is going to speak to the largest volume of people. Absolutely. That is great. We will definitely link to Taylor Street Soaps. We'll throw in the uh, two uh, particular posters you're talking about in those examples. And it starts to make me, as we move into the more of the branding discussion and the marketing discussion for business, it makes me think of just when you do that for any client, no matter what part of work you're trying to do for them, when you listen to people and you pay attention and, and just literally listening, in your case, to the music, they, they, they put it out there. It should be understood that that would be something that you would do, but people really appreciate it because it seems like a lot of people don't do it. So, so it's really interesting, again, that your process began, like your art process begins with 
these sort of business concepts that you learned at U of I. Now, when you take that to some website design, you might be doing, how do you, first, what are the tools that you're using most to get this like analog and digital feel? And then does, does your process change at all if the objectives are conversion-based on a website versus if the objectives are to stir somebody at a concert? Do any of those things change your process or your or your how you think about your work as you're going as you're as you're beginning it? I mean, I definitely think each one is a, you know a different way of thinking at the end of the day. So when you're talking about conversion, a lot of times conversion being being like the specific. I mean, if if you're trying to sell a product and you're trying to convert people in the cleanest, clearest, most efficient way possible to get from point A to, you know, entering your credit card and hitting checkout, there's going to be a different mentality used there. I still feel that visually you need to be, you know, at the top of your game. So incorporating photography, incorporating custom iconography, whatever it may be to really help the user know what it is that they're on, that they've landed on your page for. Clarity and and you know, not creating cognitive dissonance and having you know, brand messaging that connotes quality or whatever it is that you know your your product's positioning is those sorts of things. Totally. So for you know if you have a food company, you can be a little bit more lenient in terms of how you're positioning that product. And if you're creating more of like I call them like a brochure site where it's just uh, information and and photography and taking those elements and combining them to make your product look the best it is, you can, you can add a lot more interaction, a lot more, you can get a little bit more creative and and clever with how you're positioning things because you want to, to get that feel of the brand across. And now I'm not saying that you can't do that in a site where you're focusing on conversion, but I'm not going to have the user scrolling through endless, animation and, and, and parallax design to get to like a buy now, but right. I want them coming. I want them seeing the product and understanding what it is immediately, uh, whether it's through adding video or photography or a brief description and, and content. Clear visual lines to highlight the places that their eyes are going to go and the, the the path that they need to go down, whether it's a series of interactions that they have or it's actually just design of a single page. Now, we're getting into the world that that our agency works in a little bit more, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the only design we do is conversion, conversion-centered design and landing pages. But, man, it doesn't help when the brand is, is tied up, you know? Sure. So a lot of the things you've been discussing, Nate, about your processes and the way you think about design... Uh, and are seem pretty universal. They they feel timeless to me in a lot of ways. Now that said, how have you seen it change in the past ten years? Like, do you feel that it's all timeless, or do you are you constantly changing? And then, as a follow up, what are the trends in the next ten years in in some of these areas that are interesting to you? I wish I could tell the future. I'd be <laughs> I'd be a lot more successful. Uh, but I, you know, in the last ten years, I personally have seen digital just explode. I'm at a rate that's mind-blowing. When I'm working on screen printing, that technology is basically the same as what it was 30, 40 years ago. Uh, You have a screen, you coat it with an emulsion, 
you burn uh, an image into the emulsion, and that's what you use as as your visual that that you're screen printing through. So, and and that process, there, you know, you may be able to get better printers in order to to get a nicer gradient or something along those lines with a with a finer half tone. But really, screen printing is what it was, you know, 30 years ago. Digital isn't what it was 30 days ago. I mean, it's crazy how fast things are moving and keeping up with it is uh, is a job in and of itself. Now, you know, like when we got together for a couple of beers last week and you were telling me, you know, how you guys stay on top of trends that are moving. I mean, it blew my mind because you need a professional to stay on top of, of what's happening in that space. In the digital marketing industry in, in particular, it, it changes quickly, like daily, like you said, but also that's where the winds are. The winds are kind of out on the margins of the new of the new approach. So, yeah. So with design, my approach is many times, if I'm, if I'm working with a business, like simple is better. I try to create a timeless feel with my logo and, and branding work because there are a lot of trends that you can get caught up in where it's, let's say a couple of years ago, it was like the long shadow. Every, every icon had this really long shadow that extended from it. Or right now, they're, we're getting back into a lot of gradient work. And adding that to a logo is fine if you're on a digital platform. But if I'm working with a financial client who's going to be still sending out envelopes and, and, and thank you cards and things like that, the more colors I add to the project, uh, again, it, it takes away from the clarity of the message. So, But in terms of like the digital trends that I've seen, for me personally, it went from a lot of clarity of typography on the page was, was really, really important to how do we incorporate imagery better in custom icons to how can we get motion involved in extending things across a page in multiple sizes without building multiple sites, which uh, is still fascinating to me that we can, we can code one website and it's responsive across every device. Yeah, and almost limitless screen sizes now. You know, like I've got a I've got a kind of a weird tablet. It's not an iPad. It's a Nexus Nine, so it's got just like a, a slightly unusual screen size. And if we're mocking up a design for a client or something or a page on our own site, it will always look different on that than it does on any other screen. And so sure. the fact that, like you're saying, that we can make code react to almost limitless numbers of sizes, uh, screen sizes is pretty amazing. It's awesome. The ability to incorporate video much more fluidly now is so awesome. It's, you know, the video component, I, I, I look at how Facebook is, has moved over the last few years. And when you first logged on to Facebook, like you would actually read what people wrote on their feed. Yeah. And then photos came along and it was like, well, I'm not going to read what they have out there now. I'm going to look at the photos. Right. And then, you know, video came along and it was like, ooh, well, I, I'm, I'll read some of these things. I'll take a look at most of the photos. But now video's catching my eye. And now with Facebook Live and all, I mean, like, it's interesting to see how our attention spans adapt to the new content that's going up on these sites. It definitely is. And part of it is a function of the storage space getting so much cheaper and smaller and faster because you simply just couldn't load video on the uh, infrastructure of five years ago. And so it's going so fast. Like you said, it's a much better experience now on all devices. 25% of time spent on mobile is on video. And 
we were, I was at Facebook recently and talking with some of the people who work there and they were saying how video on your mobile device becomes the first screen no matter what else you're doing. If you pop it open and you are actually watching it, even if you're sitting on your couch with your TV on in the background, you're paying attention to the video on your mobile device. And then if you want to stop watching, you pause and you look around. So they're doing a lot of studies on that. <laughs> Not surprising to hear. But yeah, video is a huge, huge piece of what we're hearing on the marketplace and seeing in the marketplace. It's a big piece of what we're doing, much more than it was two or three years ago, partially because of those trends. There's a project that I worked on with LendingTree. They do a lot of display advertising and you know, a lot of A-B testing and trying to figure out what's connecting, you know, again, you know, for, for conversion purposes. And you know, with, with what I'm doing, uh, it was some custom lettering we decided, oh, well, let's set up a camera. And instead of just putting out this still graphic with uh, what the mortgage rates are right now, let's write it out on a chalkboard and time-lapse it and see how the you know, audience reacts. And just you know, kind of breaking out of their normal static elements that they, would, that they would post in the social feed, they just saw a huge jump in, in conversion. And it was, it was a fun project. It was, it was really didn't require much on my end to set up. I recorded all of these on my iPhone that I just had positioned on top of the chalkboard, like a top-down view, kind of like uh, cooking videos that you'll see the recipes. And it was, it was really neat to see this hand lettering component being digitized, you know, turned into a time-lapse video that was really connecting with people. That's cool. Again, maybe surprising people with that analog feel in the digital medium. It's disruptive. And is that a good example of the sort of work that 12 Line Studios does and, and likes to do? I think for me, I've been trying to find ways that I can connect my illustration with, you know, projects that are outside of, of the music space in a lot of sense. So whether it's uh, working with breweries on their packaging and incorporating illustration there while still having to be mindful of the content that you're getting across. So I think right now it's it's been a lot of fun for me to find projects where I can incorporate design and illustration together. I know most places either specialize in one where it's I specialize in illustration, I get hired by a designer or I'm a designer and I hire out an illustrator. I really love being able to bridge those two different uh, elements of of design and and, and putting them together for the, for the client. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be able to start a project, have a vision, and, and finish it. For sure. Well, that sounds awesome. We'll definitely link to that as well in the show notes. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here. I feel like on the one end of the spectrum, there's art, uh, where maybe the objective is potentially the artist's own need to express something. And then on the far other end, and you have, as we move along the spectrum, there's branding. There's a lot of the things that you've been describing, and we move closer towards direct response, which is more the world that our agency MatchNode works in. And then direct response and conversion-focused design would be on this other end of the spectrum. I'll throw out one last thing as far as a trend goes that we're hearing that somewhat relates to some of the to, to what we've been talking about, which is conversion robots, which is putting AI and machine learning in landing page design to optimize for conversions. And we're borrowing this a bit from Unbounce, which are who are our friends and partners. We use their product for lots and lots of clients and. Co-founder Ali Gardner was on this podcast uh, 
a few months ago, and he was talking about what they're doing, where they're built. They have so much data now because they host so many landing pages. They identify every element on a landing page. And of course, they can say, across all landing pages, these are the elements that work. And so with this machine learning thing that they're building, which sounds like a big project, they're going on you know, even beyond the spectrum we're talking about of doing direct response. And I think what's so interesting, Nate, about your work is that you're bringing these different analog ideas into digital and vice versa, like in your example of how you start with business design to get you uh, an artistic output. I think these things are going to be, like you said, disruptive, you just said. And so as you flip through the news feed on Facebook, people on desktop spend two and a half seconds on any piece of content. Uh, on mobile, it's 1.7 seconds. So it's shorter on mobile, but flipping through faster. And when you see a custom iconography or custom lettering, like in the lending tree example you mentioned, it makes people stop. It makes their thumb stop. And you think, what is that? And we've all had that experience. We all know what it's like. And what those elements are that are going to create that thumb stop are changing all the time. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for being on. Thanks for uh, all the art you put into the world. And uh, Hopefully people will uh, go and check out some of your concert posters and uh, hit Nate up or hit us up anytime and we can connect you to them. So thanks again, Nate, for joining us. We had a great time. Yeah, Chris, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.